Why is it that she orders the same entree from the same restaurant every time she's there? Or that every time you see him, he has the same beverage in his hand? Or she requests the same birthday cake every year for her birthday? I think the answer to those questions is the same, isn't it? You find something that you like, it's good, and you don't waver from it. If you know you like it, why would you try something else and, and risk if you didn't like it? And, and that kind of helps us understand where David is coming from in our psalm this morning. What is it exactly that would compel David to write as he did in the first verse, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Well, the answer to that, the, the reason behind his praise and his extolling of the Lord is really verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. David had tasted and he knew that the Lord was good. He knew it, he liked it, and he wasn't going to waver from it. He had acquired a taste for the Lord. Now I'm just going to put it right out there. Simply put, when it comes to simple evangelism, it's not going to be always for us unless it's always based on having tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Because if that's not the case, then it will flavor our evangelism lives. We will view evangelism as something that is to be done periodically, at one time or another. If it happens at all, it will be infrequent. We'll view it as something, oh, there's another sermon on evangelism. Oh, this church needs to carry out evangelism because it's dying and it needs more members. But all of those will be the wrong reason and, and always will not define our lives of evangelism until and unless we taste and see that the Lord is good. See, it's possible to be familiar with, with this, to know the Bible without tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Scholars, academics, skeptics, many of them know the Bible very well. They know the Word of God perhaps better than, than some of us. But that doesn't mean that they have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And sadly, that can be the case for, for us as Christians as well. We can know some of this. We've learned it. We've memorized it. But have we really tasted and seen that the Lord is, is good? There's an old story that is told about uh, somebody that, that, that hosted a party, a number of guests for a dinner engagement. And at this party, there was an actor and a pastor, among others. The host of the party asked the actor if he wouldn't mind, because he was used to, to reading and, and, and being in front of people and speaking, if he wouldn't mind reciting Psalm 23 for, for everybody that was at the party. He obliged, and, and as he read it, everybody was moved at how smoothly he spoke, how beautiful his, his recitation was. His tone changes 
to reflect the, the different themes of the words and the phrases of Psalm 23. Indeed, when he had finished, many of them agreed that that was the most beautiful reading of Psalm 23 that they had ever heard or experienced. Then after he was finished, the host asked the pastor if he would mind doing the same. Would you mind sharing Psalm 23 as well? And the pastor knew himself well enough and and had just heard the actor to know he wasn't nearly as eloquent or, or even as good a speaker, not as finely tuned and polished as he was. So he was reluctant, but, but eventually he agreed, provided he was permitted to, to share some of his thoughts, some commentary on Psalm 23, which he did. And after he had finished, the guests agreed that they were privy to quite a special treat to have heard both the actor so eloquently recite the words of Psalm 23, and then the pastor unfolds those words and those verses them. And they knew that, that each individual brought something different, something unique to the table in their reading of Psalm 23. And after some discussion amongst themselves, they finally figured out what was the difference between the two. They concluded the actor, he knew the psalm. The pastor knew the shepherd. Dear friends, that's the key to being an exceptional evangelist, knowing the Good Shepherd, knowing Jesus. The more we know Jesus, the more we taste and see that the Lord is good, the more we'll understand exactly what David was talking about when he said, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. And you don't sense as you read through this psalm or as you heard it this morning, you don't sense that this was a part-time endeavor for David. You don't get the idea that this was just something he putzed around with like a hobby over the weekend occasionally when he had time. But this was full-time. David had tasted and seen that the Lord was good. And I think it stands out even more as we consider the introduction to this psalm that is printed for you in your service folder, telling us the context, the timing of David's life when he wrote this psalm. If you're not familiar with that, go back and, and recount in 1 Samuel. I think it's chapter 21, the event that is referred to. David was on the run from King Saul, who was trying to hunt him down to murder him. And it's not just as if David was on the run, but he found himself in enemy territory. And not just any enemy territory, but the land of the Philistines. And if you remember anything about David, he probably was not their favorite guy public enemy number one, had taken down their towering giant of a hero, Goliath. And here he was, fearful for his life, on the run from Saul, and not sure of what would happen to him if if he was discovered or figured out or if they took it the wrong way in, in, in Gath, in Philistia. And so what did David do? He played it out as if he had lost his marvels. He feigned insanity drooling from his beard, making marks on doors and gates, playing the part of a crazy man to fool his enemies so that they wouldn't be concerned at all about him. And it's in the midst of that season of his life that David writes these words, Psalm 34. Certainly not a high point, and yet he still says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Think of the impact that that makes 
for you, Christian, as, as you follow suit. The world certainly is not surprised when it sees everything going well for the Christian to, to give props to God, to praise God, to speak well of him when life is going well. But when potentially does your witness make a bigger impact on somebody else? It's, it's also when you are equally praising God, when they look at you and they see optimism and they see joy and they see happiness, not just when things are great, but when they aren't. When the wheels have fallen off and everything is falling apart in your life and still you find reason to praise and extol the Lord always. That potentially is, has the opportunity to make the, the biggest impact on somebody else's life because that's when it becomes real. And that matters to us, doesn't it? When somebody is being real with us. Consider the feeling you get when, when you sense that somebody is trying to market to you or sell you something. Unless you are one who appreciates, and some of us do the, the craftsmanship that, that some who are really good at selling, probably most of us don't feel so great when we get a sense that somebody else is looking at us and just seeing dollar signs. But in the, the world of, of sales, there's a distinction that sometimes is made between selling and sharing. And I'm sure that you have experienced the difference between the two. That you can see right through somebody that is just trying to make a sale on you versus somebody that is sharing something that has mattered to them very deeply, very passionately, and they are convinced that it's also something that will help you as well. In one case... The individual is being very real. And the same plays out in evangelism. Others can tell if you are just pitching Jesus. They'll see right through it. If it's not real, if it's not true, if it's not genuine for you. So how is it genuine for you? Because if it's not genuine for you, it won't be genuine for them. So in order for us to, to be able to take a page out of David's book, how do we get to that point to rejoice not just in the highs in life, but also in the lows as well? Well, it comes back to that last verse, right? Verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So that's the question. Dear friends, have you tasted and seen that the Lord is, in fact, good? Now, first of all, if you have to give your response to that question some thought, it's probably not a real good sign. Or if you said yes immediately to that question, yes, I have tasted the Lord and I've seen that he is good, but you're not sure how to explain or describe what that means in your life? Probably not a good sign. If getting up out of bed on a Sunday morning is still more of a, a drag for you than it is a delight, probably not a good sign. If your daily Bible reading and devotion consistently are deferred in favor of other more important priorities, and then they don't ever end up happening. Probably not a good sign. 
if the opportunity to study the, the Bible together with other Christians is not even on your radar and you tune it out when those opportunities are made available to you, probably not a good sign. Again, even the skeptic and the academic can know this without really knowing him and tasting him and seeing that the Lord is good. And the only way that we're going to see that, the only way that we are going to come to acquire a taste for the Lord is by spending time with the Lord. And the fact is that you have, as, as you look through the rest of these verses in David's psalm, as you look at, at how it's described, don't you think that that individual is somebody that, that is very attractive, somebody that you would want to spend time with, somebody that you would want to hang around with? And that's who we want to be to the rest of the world. And the truth is that you have experienced most, if not all, of what David describes in these verses says in verse 2, My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Have you ever been afflicted? Have you ever ended up rejoicing because you know that the Lord heard your prayer and he answered it, whether it was sickness or illness or some other affliction? Yes, you absolutely have. In verse 3, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Have you ever experienced the joy of gathering together with brothers and sisters in Christ to rejoice and celebrate who he is and what he's done for you and what he thinks of you? Yes, you have. Verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Have you ever found yourself terrified, not knowing where to turn, and you know that ultimately the Lord delivered you from that season, from that time, that experience in your life? Yes, you have. And David isn't done. In verse 6, he says, This poor man called and the Lord heard him, saved him out of his troubles. Have you ever been in trouble and the Lord delivered you? Have you ever turned your face to him and, and in radiance realized that our faces are never covered with shame, verse 5, because you know that Jesus has completely forgiven and washed away every sin. All of these we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Now, how does that resonate in our lives that, that makes a difference? That is the, the key, always, is that my relationship with, with Jesus, that really the key to evangelism, if it's going to be an always in my life, then that means more of Jesus in my life. And the more of Jesus that fills up my life with his grace and his forgiveness, the more I want Jesus in the lives of others as well. That's the right understanding. That's the key to simple evangelism. Do not think that being an exceptional evangelist really is a matter of every time I leave the house, every time I engage online, I need to be thinking about who I might come into contact with and who I might share Jesus with. Being an exceptional evangelist isn't focusing your attention on evangelism all the time, but rather always focusing your attention on Jesus. And when we always focus our attention on Jesus, then we acquire a taste for the Lord. We see again and again and again how truly at all times in every situation how good he really is. And the more we taste it, the more we crave it, and the more we crave it, as I said, the more we want it for others. Think about how natural that is. 
When you experience something good, nobody has to tell you to go back and experience that again. You don't find a, a show that you stream and you watch it one time and say, that was amazing, and that's the only episode you ever watch. You don't go to a, a restaurant, a, a new place that you have discovered, and have an exceptional meal only to dine there that one time and never return. You don't have a great cup of coffee from some brand or some location and never have another cup of coffee there. When you experience something that is good, something that is great, you want more of it. The key to being an exceptional evangelist is tasting and seeing that the Lord is good believing it, and wanting more of Him. And the more you are filled up with Him, the more you too will extol the Lord at all times, and His praise will always be on your lips. And when that is the case, evangelism will happen, because others will hear His praise on your lips. When you make your life about Jesus... Always. Amen.